Hello and welcome to the EQI podcast, Voices on the World of Work. This podcast from the European Trade Union Institute offers new perspectives, debates and conversations about ongoing research and education on social Europe, workers' participation, health and safety, the wider labour movement and the world of work. This is E2I Podcast. Hello and welcome to E2I Podcast, Voices on the World of Work. This is episode 9, COVID-19 and platform workers, what rights and protections, looking uh, into Czechia. I'm Elisa, Communication Officer here at D2I, and today I'll be joined in by Jan Raokupio, Senior Researcher at D2I. Hi, Jan. Hello, Elisa. How's it going? Uh, good. How are you doing? Well, not too bad. <laughs> today with you, Jan, we will be talking about um, platform workers, mainly because you've been substantially uh, working on uh, the gig economy and especially on platform workers in the recent years. And um, we would like to talk about it with you because uh, platform workers we have been seeing uh, during uh, this pandemic have become essential workers. Suddenly, they're making groceries, preparing packages, uh, delivering packages at our doors have become uh, yeah, essential, essential parts of our economy. Um, they were also ready before, but now everybody's talking about it. So they also become uh, more visible to the general public. Um, on one hand, these workers, it is also true that these workers are demanding more health and safety protections. Higher wages we have been seeing, especially in the US, with several strikes for the first time in the Amazon factories, for instance. Um, can you tell us a bit more? Can you give us an overview of what's happening? Well, as you said, uh, uh, platform workers have come into sort of limelight uh, recently. At the same time, we've seen actually many of them losing their uh, jobs. So it's true that uh, some of the activities like food delivery in particular has sort of uh, skyrocketed the volume of, uh, of orders. At the same time, we've seen uh, activities like, uh, you know, uh, taxi or, uh, or personal services like cleaning, they all have shrunk. So I think uh, overall, we've actually seen uh, many of the platform workers uh, losing their jobs or uh, some estimates speak about sort of uh, half of workers losing their jobs. Those who still have them, uh, uh, the estimates that uh, uh, claim that uh, about two thirds of their income uh, uh, have gone. So, uh, and many of the platform workers are sort of uh, facing this sort of uh, dilemma whether to work and, and uh, face the risk of uh, getting the virus or uh, because obviously sort of uh, faced with the prospect of no income because most of these workers are not, not insured and uh, we don't see uh, platforms offering them anything as sort of a replacement for, uh, for their incomes. You did a study um, for D2I uh, and you had some... Um... Uh, some estimates uh, on uh, what is the percentage of platform workers uh, um, in Europe? How many are they? Can you tell us a bit more? Uh, yes, we did a, before the crisis. We have uh, we did a, a survey of uh, 
platform work or the extent of platform work in Europe. Uh, and what we found is that a large part of the European population has some experience with platform work, uh, but this will not exceed more than 20% of adults, which is a large part of the population. Uh, but if we look at the people who actually depend on platform work, so those who would have, for instance, uh, uh, would have more than 50% of the income uh, from platform work, that's really sort of a small part of the population. There would be less than 4% of, 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 the, of the adults would uh, uh, actually depend on platform work as a major source of income. So uh, the picture we, which we had was a large part of the population having some experience with uh, platform work or, or earning income on the internet, but only a very small majority would uh, rely on that, on that as, as a major source of income. And what's I think interesting uh, about the crisis is that uh, we had thought that, many have sort of thought that uh, uh, we may have seen a peak in the uh, platform work, uh, particularly as far as the physically delivered services are concerned. Uh, this uh, didn't seem to rise, but maybe we, we may see a change in that because uh, many people have become unemployed or become unemployed and may, may be looking for, uh, for income on platforms and uh, also the consumption patterns may change. And the question uh, is whether this is a sort of a temporary effect of the crisis or whether this will lead to a sort of a changes in the way people sort of uh, uh, buy services and also with the way they work. And um, we, will be talk we were talking before about the health and safety at the workplace being basically the reason why most uh, uh, we the reason why we see lots of uh, industrial action uh, yeah. in these factories so in, can you tell us a bit more uh, about uh, this yeah. I think there's two things one thing is about the platforms and then there's a, another thing is about the people who do the sort of essential services or, or even work for Amazon uh, in delivery centers so when it comes to platform workers, what we know that uh, many platforms have sort of uh, claimed that they uh, are taking care of uh, health and safety of their workers, that they provide, uh, you know, uh, protective equipment and the like. Uh, the service that, uh, the surveys or the data that we have, uh, in particular from the Fair Work uh, Foundation, they show that uh, only half of platforms actually provide some protective equipment. When it comes to food delivery, for instance, we see measures uh, at the point of delivery when the workers come to collect food from restaurants and the like, it's there's less of protection. So, uh, but even that, you see, it's just it's only half of the platforms uh, that do provide some uh, uh, protective equipment. So, uh, uh, many problems there. Then, yeah, the other issue was the uh, uh, sort of essential workers, if we can call them like that, in a, you know, in a, uh, working for, for Amazon and the like. There, we've seen a many sort of. Uh, problems with uh, workers uh, complaining that they are working in an unsafe environment. Uh, we've seen in, in France that uh, a court uh, has ordered uh, Amazon to stop their services before they uh, uh, address uh, the problems. In the US, we see many sort of uh, disputes, uh, 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 industrial uh, action because of the uh, lack of safety measures in the uh, warehouses. And in all this, what is the EU doing uh, for what what in the EU jargon they are called atypical workers. Mm -hmm. What, yeah, what is the EU doing? Yeah. Not to see the uh, platform workers as a sort of a distinctive uh, group. I think they, it's okay. uh, more appropriate to see them as a, as, a, as a part of a wider group of atypical workers. And then we had 
this has been on the agenda before the crisis, of course. I think three uh, things, uh, three regulatory responses are important. The first is that uh, in early 2016, we had a communication from the European Commission uh, which sort of clarified uh, conditions under which it will uh, consider that there is an employee an employment relationship and therefore that the uh, European social law will apply. And it did refer uh, to a definition by the European Court of Justice, which is quite a, uh, quite encompassing. It's quite a wide, wide definition of, uh, of uh, who the workers are. Often it's wider than what we, have, we find in the, the national uh, law regulations. The second important uh, development on the European level was uh, the uh, revision of the Transparent and uh, Predictable Working Conditions Directive in 2019. And that expanded uh, uh, rights that all workers sort of enjoy or should enjoy in the European Union. And that includes also the uh, right to reference hours, which sort of uh, uh, manages uh, or puts limits on the, on the flexibility of working hours, right to training, or the right to, uh, to a reasonable notice period. What's important there is that this directive actually refers to, uh, to workers, not only as workers defi as defined by the uh, national law, but, but also, again, it refers to the jurisdiction or the case law of the European Court of Justice, which may be much wider uh, than the uh, national definition. So we may find, well, of course, we have to see, uh, we have to wait for the uh, uh, case law, but, but that's an avenue to sort of cover many of the atypical workers who are not classified as, as, uh, as uh, employees with uh, additional rights. And finally, the third development in this respect was the uh, uh, EU Council recommendation in 2019, which uh, sort of tried to address the problem that many of the, or most of, or at least half of the people who work in the self-employed or non-standard work arrangement, they are not covered with the uh, social protection insurance in the EU. And it sort of uh, uh, gives uh, ur urges EU member states to address this problem. Of course, this is just a recommendation. We, we, we hope that this that, that this would come in the form of a, of a directive, at least. It didn't, uh, but that's what we have. And we have so, to see what uh, how the uh, national uh, uh, policymakers will react. Or, so yeah. basically, the EU was already working. Uh, just to summarize what you, what you said, and then move yes. forward. The EU was already working on expanding or uh, improving uh, social protection let's say, and expanding the concept of worker beyond uh, what was already be, be, be before so to include uh, a typical workers and platform worker in the definition of a worker to give them more social social protection um, yes. and um, but now it's up to the member states, especially after the council recommendation that you just mentioned, up to the member states to see how they can implement such recommendations uh, at national level, right? Yes, well, these three, yeah, these three uh, initiatives have sort of uh, already uh, uh, taken place. Uh, we've been uh, waiting, or there was an uh, expectation that the commission will uh, announce uh, in summer or just before summer, uh, whether it uh, intends to do more in terms of the regulatory uh, responses to the non-standard uh, non non, uh, work uh, in the run-up to the uh, summit on platform economy, which was planned for September. But because of the COVID crisis, it was uh, been postponed uh, to 2021. So uh, we'll see if, if this will sort of also delay the process of, uh, of uh, reflection on the part of the Commission, whether they want to do more on the on the non non, non work, and that was the strong expectation, in particular from the uh, 
unions that uh, uh, more will be done than just uh, uh, this sort of uh, uh, they're just referring yeah. to the uh, European Court of Justice and uh, uh, many were hoping for, we, for some sort of regulation. Yeah, and we will see what uh, the European Commission will come up uh, if at all anything uh, in the in the fall or in summers, as you said. Now, um, yeah. for the EU is clear, uh, national governments, what are they doing? Well, I'm not sure that this is uh, now the priority for most uh, governments. Uh, well, we've seen some developments, I think, uh, uh, in California, we've seen the uh, court case against Uber and, uh, and Lyft in the context of their sort of uh, uh, ABC test they, they introduced. Uh, uh, but I haven't noticed sort of any major uh, uh, initiative in this, in this, uh, in this area on the mm -hmm. level in the, in the EU. Yeah, but and this may change. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it is true that now we have different priorities. That, sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what are companies doing? Um, we have been mentioning before Amazon. Uh, we've also done a study at D2I on Deliveroo. Um, can you tell us a bit more, for instance, about the French development that you mentioned uh, briefly before? Well, that was a. Uh, uh, there is this uh, problem of uh, of uh, unsafe uh, working conditions in the Amazon warehouses, and this led to uh, sort of uh, labor disputes in the U.S. and in, in France. It took a uh, form of a court case where the unions brought the uh, Amazon uh, to court, and that sort of ordered uh, the company to stop their operations uh, uh, until they address uh, the health and safety problems. Uh, and then we also see sort of uh, Companies taking the opportunity of the uh, of the uh, of the crisis. Uber Eats is uh, expanding rapidly in Europe and Eastern Europe. They, have, uh, they are going to uh, start operations in new markets. So we see these two uh, uh, way reaction. On the one, on the one hand, we see uh, uh, many platform workers uh, losing uh, their uh, jobs or income. Uh, people are doing uh, you know, driving taxi and the like or cleaning services. At the same time, we see expansion in the uh, food delivery, so that's why the action is at the moment, I think. Very clear. Um, are you planning any new publications coming up uh, in this subject? Uh, is there something we should look out for from you, from D2I? Yes, we plan to expand the uh, survey of platform work uh, uh, to add more countries to our survey. Uh, that was planned for to deploy data later this year or early next year. We'll see if it's possible given the uh, problems with you know, uh, uh, doing face-to-face -face surveys. Uh, but that was our main uh, uh, initiative or plan in the area of platform work at the UI. That's very good. And in I know you are releasing soon, so we are releasing soon a book uh, about the uh, digital transformation in the automotive industry. Um, you want to mention something about that? Because, okay, it's not about platform work, but it's still about uh, uh, the digital transformation. And, well, uh, I've seen uh, recently uh, some news about um, uh, the automotive industry uh, and the selling of cars is, is down because nobody's buying cars at this moment uh, in the crisis. So maybe you want to mention something about this book? Yeah, but this book looks at a different aspect of uh, restructuring in the automotive industry, which relates to the new technology as it is introduced in the uh, 
in, in the um, companies uh, that produce uh, cars or uh, supplies to the car makers. Uh, there we looked at uh, how the new technology is uh, affecting the uh, working conditions and uh, also demand for, for uh, jobs. Uh, uh, and uh, we also look at uh, uh, the countries that assembly cars, uh, be it uh, Southern Europe and Eastern Europe, and, and look at how the new, new technology sort of, uh, affects their uh, uh, role in the uh, position in the value chain, uh, the extent to which uh, uh, they can sort of remain uh, competitive in, in uh, uh, the sort of uh, factory work they do. Okay, then uh, I will be. Uh, we will be looking out for this book, and also in general for the uh, survey that you mentioned that you want to expand. Mm -hmm. And I'll provide you that uh, the situation uh, will allow you to make face-to-face -face, uh, interviews. Um, Jan, you've recently been appointed yeah. member of the Economic Advisory Board uh, for the Czech Republic. Uh, so congratulations first, um, and then. Uh, can you tell us a bit more what uh, what Czechia uh, is doing to fight uh, COVID-19? Yeah, we work as a sort of advisory board to the crisis response team of the Czech government, and we give feedback on policies that the government pursues and give advice on possible options, what they could, what else they could do. And then government is free to ignore our advice or, <laughs> or do something about uh, about it. Uh, well, it's quite interesting work. Czechia is a in a way interesting case because it was very quick to react. So in a way, it was lucky in a way that it did introduce quite harsh uh, restrictions roughly at the same time as Belgium did. But uh, at, that, at that time, the virus was much more widespread in, in Belgium and in, in Czechia it was uh, still at the beginning. So they were able to do restrict the spread of the virus and get it under control uh, quite quickly. Uh, now they are they are sort of releasing the uh, or, or loosening the measures quite rapidly, and we see they are able to sort of uh, keep it under control. What are the economic measures that were put into place to sustain the economy and to help workers? Well, they've allocated quite a large amount of money, uh, a large, quite generous package, about two percent of GDP uh, in sort of cash transfers and also credit comp to companies. There are some problems in terms of uh, uh, whether they are, will be able to spend the money because they had difficulties in sort of providing credit uh, to companies and actually uh, offering, uh, 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 being able to offer uh, the credit, credit companies as they would like to. Uh, but overall, the aim is to have quite a generous uh, uh, package, which uh, doesn't com doesn't compare to what we see in Germany, but it's uh, in a way larger than what we see in, uh, in uh, the Netherlands or, or, or Belgium. Uh, and what I is missing? What's, what is missing, uh, if anything is missing from these packages? I think what's what's in a way works as a sort of uh, measures to address the liquidity problems that the companies have. Uh, then there is a some sort of Kurzarbeit scheme, so short short term. Uh, 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 support uh, uh, for, for, for employment in companies. Uh, but I think there's two problems. First, when it comes to the uh, Kurzarbeit, the, it's quite restrictive. So the number of workers who are covered by the measure is much, uh, is much, uh, uh, much smaller than, or the proportion is much smaller than uh, what we see in uh, Germany or Belgium. 
So I think they should make it much more accessible to companies and much more attractive. Uh, it's quite expensive for companies to enroll in the scheme. And the uh, second problem I think with uh, with the policy so far is that uh, the best with some implementation implementation problems, uh, good uh, support for companies, uh, uh, also for self-employed self as cash, cash transfers. Uh, that's even, even support for workers who uh, can't work because of uh, all the caring obligations, but because of schools also shut. But overall, we see a lot of, lack of support for uh, the low-income workers and the unemployed. So we, mm. the workers will, I think, will uh, will be uh, sort of hit uh, uh, quite uh, quite hard. Uh, we see a sort of lack of support for them, and uh, we've been hoping to sort of. Uh, We've been advising the government to do something about it. Hopefully, they will do. Yeah. Well, know. let's um, let's hope uh, they will do something about it, and uh, maybe we have you back uh, on the podcast so that you can tell us a bit more a about your uh, upcoming book, and then uh, about uh, hopefully new measures that the Czech government uh, will be put into place. Uh, then, now this has come at the time for the good news section. Uh, do you have a good news for us? Well, I think it's quite difficult to find silver lining in this sort of devastating economic crisis. But uh, for instance, we are getting uh, more cycling lanes in Brussels. And so hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be, the grass will be used to shift into more sort of sustainable growth and uh, sustainable way of, uh, of living uh, more generally. And I think that's has been, been some also encouraging news for, for the unions in a way that uh, many unions have demonstrated their important role in defending rights uh, at the workplace. We discussed, you know, the problems uh, with uh, sort of uh, uh, safety, uh, safe uh, working conditions, and uh, I think we've seen uh, in many countries that the unions have shown that they are uh, important to defend workers' rights in that respect. And uh, in many countries, we all actually see a uh, uh, membership growing uh, because of that, and uh, we also see uh, union leaders. Uh, uh, taking sort of uh, uh, important role in sort of crisis management. So hopefully this will help to revitalize the union movement and uh, make the important uh, players in the workplace and also in societies at large. Let's hope so. Yeah, we will. We hope uh, that uh, yeah, trade unions will gain influence indeed. Um, are you surviving the? Semi-lockdown, uh, just to remind that here in Belgium we are entering phase two as of uh, um, this Monday, uh, the 18th of May. Um, how are you coping working from home? Well, surviving I think, <laughs> is, a, is a good word. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm myself locked up with, uh, with three children, which of course is, is lovely, but uh, it's quite challenging when it comes to finding uh, some time to do some work but, uh, i can relate <laughs> but uh, fortunately this podcast was um, um they allowed us our five children together the three of yours and two of mine to do the, this podcast today so we thank them yeah, no, no interruption whatsoever yeah. <laughs> thank you to also to our kids yeah. um but most of all uh, thank you jan for talking to us today about uh, what's been happening uh, in uh, the gig economy most uh, importantly to the platform workers uh, um, you gave us an overview of what uh, 
has been happening in Europe with also light on the strikes that we have been hearing in the US. Then uh, you talk to us about what's been happening in uh, Czechia and your role as uh, an advisor to the government uh, during this crisis. So thank you very much, Jan. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to E2I Podcast, Voices on the World of Work. This time with Jan Gahopoli on um, episode nine. If you like this episode and want to know more about it, check on our website, e2i.org. Follow us on social media and subscribe to the different um, um, uh, podcast platform uh, by searching for E2i. Stay safe out there. From Brussels, this is all. Bye-bye. Ciao.